These are extraordinary times, but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, on taking care of your gut and, of course, your brain, but most of all, on clarifying the right steps to be happier, healthier, and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. Welcome, everybody, to Body Ecology Living. Today, we're going to be talking with somebody super special, special to me, because I've known him for many, many years. Back in the day when I was just starting, he was too. When you see him on camera, you'll see he looks like the same person he looked at like 25 years ago. He hasn't aged any, which says something right there. But he's a specialist in silver, colloidal silver. Back in the day, he really was a major pioneer in helping people understand how important silver is. But um, we're going to talk about a very, very controversial topic, which is vaccinations, which he's also an expert on. Whatever is something we all know about, Robert becomes an expert in that. And he has an amazing radio show, Two Hours Every Day, that is very fast moving, so but, you know, super fast paced. So I want him to be able during the show to tell you about his radio show. It's on all type of controversial topics because he's not afraid at all of tackling uh, controversial topics. <laughs> so thank you very much, Robert, for saying yes to being interviewed. Donna, all you have to do is say hello and I'm here for you. I love you. Appreciate you so much. And again, our friendship goes back decades. I know, you know, we think yeah. about that. We've been on this planet for a while now and try to uh, live our best lives to, you know, be examples, living in good examples for others. And you are that as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I do. I'm very self-disciplined and I never go off. I mean, I practice what I preach because I feel like I have to be an authentic person. And obviously you do too. But the thing is, is when you said, hey, yes, let's do one podcast together. I thought, oh my gosh, what shall we talk about? Because there's so many things you know about. So I picked three really good topics today. So I hope people will stay all the way to the end. And uh, let's start off with probably the most controversial thing you've maybe ever talked about is vaccinations. So I will start off by just giving you my point of view from years ago, working with children with autism, interviewing, talking to many parents, you know, helping them recover their kids and so on. Um, I always asked what was your child like before they were vaccinated? And over and over and over again, the MMR was the one that where they started to regress. Then, of course, I watched what happened to Dr. Andrew, Dr. Andrew Wakefield over in um, England, where they re- were cruel and tried to get rid of him and ran him out, where our parents embraced him. And then for many years, I knew uh, Dr. Jeffrey Bradstreet, who was murdered, one of those doctors that was murdered. And um, I know... You know, I mean, I was just very involved in all of that. And uh, then, of course, you know, decided not to go down that path too much because we were raided a couple of years ago by uh, Google and they just literally wiped us off the map. So we left net 93% of our customer base overnight. And I thought, I think the key thing for me was that I did talk about autism and they didn't want me to. So now this is a super... um, probably more controversial uh, in light of COVID coming along, but I really want you to be super honest. I want people to know some facts 
and the group of people that you work with and how qualified they are. So I'll stop talking and let you take it away. Well, yeah, the only thing more controversial than vaccines is diet. What kind of diet is right? <laughs> you know the controversy talking about different diets. So uh, I was surprised by how mm-hmm. people are more attached to what they eat than other things that you know are equally important, of course, in the big scheme. And the vaccines, of course, have been the third rail of what we call medical politics for a long time. And when I began my radio show in 1999 in Atlanta, uh, we, we would talk about vaccines and <clears throat> it would be met with a lot of derision and anger and you know a lot of things. that the, Now, of course, we're seeing physicians uh, looking back at the entire vaccine schedule because of what's happened in, in the COVID era uh, with mRNA injections that are not actually vaccines. They're gene-altering therapies, if you will. But uh, suffice it to say, it's as controversial as it ever was, but we have more people than ever uh, uh, open to discussing it and acknowledging it's not as clean as safe and effective, which is a mantra they try to, uh, you know, put into our brains. And having grown up in a medical family and being vaccinated as a child, although far fewer vaccines when we were kids, Donna, you know, uh, than the next generations Uh that came through, I I had an adverse event from the uh, smallpox vaccine. I remember. uh, Oh, wow. That's the first one. Yeah, it was way back in the And they stopped that in the early 70s. But I had such head pain as a child. I couldn't even move my eyes at certain points in times it would be so painful. And uh, nobody, you know, talked about it being a vaccine injury until later when I would learn about, you know, vaccines as I studied with uh, my mentor in homeopathy, who you knew back in Atlanta uh, for over 10 years and and learned about uh, the dangers of these injections all the way back to Jenner. You know, that was given a credit for uh, the development of the cowpox mm-hmm. vaccine with the, you know, the milkmaid or the maid mm-hmm. that, that didn't appear to have the smallpox. So they used that idea. But they began to cut open, like Jenner, the arms of innocent victims and shove pus from, you know, these these uh, udders. And uh, it, it was a disaster. In fact, they would have uh, sepsis. They would have to re- remove limbs. There were deaths happening among children. And really, the, the anti-vaccination Gosh. campaign started at the time of Jenner and his temple of vaccinia, which you can still visit in England. Uh, so the idea that Wakefield was the starting point in, in the 2000s or late 90s of an anti-vaccination movement, it was like, no, it's almost as fast as they threw those into the environment. People were like, well, this is horrible. Now, the idea of vaccination may be a worthwhile one in the sense that if we can give you a small amount of a substance that can uh, elicit a response, and they call it an antibody response, that might be able to provide some level of protection should you encounter the thing in full strength. Again, I understand the concept, but the actual implementation of that concept via what we call allopathic medicine is disastrous because it's not just a small amount or whatever. It's the way they add things to it, adjuvant it, uh, add metals to it, et cetera. And the fact that they're not inhaling it or ingesting it, but injecting it, which is not how we normally go through life, receiving things via open wounds. Now that's an unusual circumstance if we have that and there are risks associated with that, but they purposefully do that which again violates fundamental tenets of immunology because you know you got a million layers of the immune system and a lot of it's external to our body and of course the mucous membranes the saliva itself the entire GI tract the acidity within the stomach all of these things are completely bypassed with the uh holy grail for them to be the antibody response now even if you so so Robert I just want to be sure because you said that so quickly that people caught mm-hmm. that so vaccinations are you know, injected into the skin, into the arm and muscles and so on. And and normally when things enter our body, you're saying that we uh, they go through the mouth, go down to the uh, microbiome, which is the, the, micro, the microbes down there are 
sort of evaluating what's there and they're screening it out and they're sending all kinds of signals through the body and the brain and everything to activate to do whatever they have to do to get rid of anything dangerous that's come in. So you're saying the vaccines don't use that route to get into they the completely body. violate it. Uh, it's, it's as if it, you know, nature doesn't exist. And the arrogance of medical man once again plays its role in what uh, disastrous, even if it's well intentioned, uh, then you don't have the ability to genuinely learn how to interact with the environment because it's an artificial exposure, again, via muscular, intramuscular injection, maybe some into the veins, whatever it's going to go into, depending on whether they're hitting their injections. But you bypass, again, the mucose membranes, the, the microbiome external to the body, the microbiome within the entirety of the uh, GI tract, all of that, that's part of how we're supposed to interact with the environment. And be alerted. And if antibodies are needing to be produced, fine. But we recognize in immunology, basic immunology, that having an antibody in and of itself is neither necessary nor, you know, critically important to prevent against a disease. In other words, you can have an antibody to a quote unquote disease infectious agent and still succumb to it. You cannot have an antibody to that uh, infectious agent and not succumb to it. So it's only one part of the adaptation of the immune response and the sacrifice of all of the immune system for one aspect, one narrow aspect of the immune system, the antibody production is, again, a disastrous short sighted thing to do. Because, as I said, even in natural the natural world, if you have or don't have an antibody, it's not a guarantee whether you will or won't get a quote unquote infectious disease. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question right here. So I've seen vaccinations where they put them on a piece of sugar cube and they put it in the mouth. Now, what do you think about would that solve Yeah, you're going to uh, an interesting thing with what they call the polio, primarily the polio vaccine that was at one point an oral, and I think they still have it, injectable and oral. But, um, of course, putting Mm -hmm. it on a sugar cube is stupid because sugar depresses the immune system right then and there. So you're going to be more vulnerable to adverse effects or the absolute, uh, let's say, activation of what they call an attenuated live, if you will, virus by their own uh, uh, words that they use so that you weaken the immune system of a child, for instance, given that sugar cube, and then you manifest the very thing that you claim you want to prevent. So uh, the cases of polio after the introduction of the polio vaccine primarily occurred in those vaccinated, so-called, whether it be at the, in the initial phase, the oral one, which was very dangerous, and then they switched to an injectable. And it's it, it's still a controversial thing because the only cases of polio that really they acknowledge happening pretty much around the world are those in vaccinated populations. So they're actually inducing it. And we can go into the controversy. My, you know, my dear friend who's no longer with us, Liam Sheff, wrote a great book, if you haven't seen it, called Official Stories. Official stories is so well mm-hmm. worth reading. And it basically, you, you get the concept of what are official stories. They're there to protect the officials, whatever the official line, party line, the narrative is. And you'll find that the entirety of, of, of the vaccination program, especially around polio, is based on the, the premise that they actually isolated one virus that caused polio, except in 99.9% of the people that encountered it. You say, wait a second. How does it cause polio in everybody except for 99.95% of the and you begin to ask these questions. You say, is the basic premise of what they're utilizing and injecting or, or, or giving us orally actually enhancing our health? Is it a viable idea from theory to actual practice outside of what I would say homeoprophylaxis, which is a homeopathic way to interact where you're honoring the body's intelligence through the energetics of interaction with the world without subjecting it to the potential for injury or even death? by putting in these injectables with other adjuvants and metals and who knows what else. 
Okay, well, you made me think a bunch of other things. So first of all, for many, many years, I have said nature vaccinates us. And I've gone on to explain how nature vaccinates us, how it's absolutely critical in the very beginning of life to focus on establishing the microbiome. It takes time. Um, it's so hard to get that message out, except that, oh, you know, 12 years after I started saying that, the medical community, scientists all over the world started looking at the microbiome. They talk about it all the time now, but um, strangely enough, nobody, most of the world doesn't know that much about it. Now, um, so the question then arises, do we really need man to get involved or could we look at the way nature vaccinates us and copy nature? Because I'm a big, yeah. huge believer in copying nature. I do it all the time. I'm trying to figure things out. I think, well, how does nature do that? Like, why do we have to think we're smarter as humans? I know you you love saying things like that. So. Yeah, I, I just, the arrogance of medical man seemingly knows no bounds or limits. And of course, uh, it destroys nature. It conquers nature. It doesn't honor nature. It doesn't try to learn from nature. Uh, even the, the concept of herd immunity is completely misapplied in the vaccine uh, paradigm, if you will. Uh, the only evidence for herd, or now they try to say community immunity, is when something is naturally, say, spreading within a community and exhausts itself, and it's done, and people aren't affected by the same thing in the same way. And yet that's never been proven to be done artificially via injection. But they borrow from nature, but then they butcher it, alter it. And, you know, as you mm -hmm. point out, the microbiome has the, the most critical aspect of how we learn to interact with the world. Like there's a phase when children put everything in their mouth. What is that? That's how the body is intelligent learning and the microbiome is learning about what's beneficial, what isn't, and even how to protect ourselves from occasionally those things that, you know, are not necessarily deadly unless we have devastated our immune system prior to encountering it. Or even if we've encountered it before, we've wiped out the immune system due to the use of uh, antibiotics, which I believe is a form of chemo. And I wish people would think of it that way. And the next time a doctor says, here, I'm going to prescribe for you this antibiotic, I want you to hear, I'm going to prescribe for you some chemo therapy. And then you go, whoa, 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 doc, it's only an infection, a chemo, do you think? I'm like, no, you don't need it. And we've <laughs> proven that. My, my children who are now 22, almost 23, my son, and my daughter is 17, never once had an antibiotic, not once. And they've had infections. It's a normal part of being alive on this planet. And they've also never had a vaccination, not one. And they're the healthiest kids. And you were referencing experts and doctors. There are doctors now that have uh, reported, like Dr. Paul Thomas, for instance, and in peer-reviewed medical literature have shown that the only healthy kids, like I've witnessed around the world as I've traveled over many years, are the least vaccinated or not vaccinated at all. And those who have been partially or fully jabbed are the ones that are carrying all the chronic afflictions, the chronic maladies, any number of things, all also related to microbiome health. But beyond that, even the toxicological burden of heavy metals contributing to a number of uh, symptomatic manifestations, whether it be considered autism or autism spectrum disorder. And I, and I, by the way, I sent a little link to a, an article by my friend Jeremy Hammond about the claims that uh, these vaccines have nothing to do with autism. That is misinformation. It's absolutely related. But I wish they would just call out. <laughs> Talk to the parents. Talk to a thousand yeah. parents. Ask them. I think that's so something. Yeah. So neurological brain damage, they call it autism. You know, And then they say, if you label it autism, then you can't get compensated. We'll dismiss it because we claim there's no relationship. But call it what it is. Encephalitis, different things that cause damage to the nerves, the brain, etc. cetera. Uh, and then so... Mm -hmm. It is inflammation in the brain. I want to add something to that, too. What, go ahead. And I, I no, just no, want to go ahead. Go ahead. Add, add away. Okay. So many years ago, I started working with um, 
the kids, you know, and I wanted to always want to get to the root cause. So I said to myself, well, are there other brain inflammations? And you mentioned encephalitis, that is one. I was speaking in a conference, in a mind conference in Australia, and I brought that up. I said, you know, we have these infections that can get into the brain, like encephalitis. And so at a couple of hours later, there was a break and these moms came up to me and they said, you know, our doctors are standing over in the corner and they're saying that there's no way that this can be a brain inflammation in the brain, you know. Uh, so fortunately, I got to talk again at two o'clock the next day and I'd gone, gone back to my room, looked up tons of information on brain inflammation and cephalitis and so on. And there was, anyway, that was the beginning in Australia of doctors looking at autism completely differently and putting the kids on the body ecology diet and uh, having an amazing response. So when I came back next year to talk there, there was a whole bunch of doctors, Pfeiffer doctors, putting, you know, doing it quite well. So it is a brain inflammation problem, but this is what made me want to bring this up. I think certain people are not vaccinatable. They are not good candidates for it. And we've got a generation of kids today that are not like two generations ago or three generations ago that were hardier. You know, in that generation, like the parents, say, of the grand or grandparents of the baby boomers, the survival of the fittest was still happening. So, you know, it did, people died if they didn't have a real strong immune system. And so it, what you're left with are people reproducing that have stronger immune systems. But today we have kept everybody alive. We have, you know, never taught anybody about the immune system or the importance of establishing it at birth or anything. And then we're, we're so gullible and vulnerable to being misled with, um, you know, telling people they have to be vaccinated as if we don't have any other protection. So that, that I think is really, so the point I want to bring up, do you think some people are not vaccinatable? Because I think that's certain things happening in the autistic kids. They're not good detoxifiers. They have certain genes. So do a whole bunch of other people. I mean, a whole bunch of people have those same genes. So it's not a gene thing. Like MTHFR is very common. They don't tend to have, um, the vitamin D receptor tends to be, uh, you know, a variance there, but that's common in a whole bunch of kids who don't become autistic. So what is it about these particular groups of kids when they get vaccinated, they become autistic. So do you, do you have thoughts about that? Sure. I certainly also well, do. You know, in the book, I mentioned official stories. There was a whole chapter on Darwin, how Darwin was wrong. It wasn't survival of the fittest. It was survival of the most adaptable. That is the adaptation syndrome of Hans Selye. And we realize that uh, young people today have very limited capacity to adapt to these insults and assaults like we did previously, because we hadn't been assaulted over generations and allowed, uh, you know, the you know, there is a, a general weakness in terms of adaptation. You're now in a chronic state of you're alive, you're chronically ill, but you're alive. That's that adapting for survival. And you try to make the best of the situation, if you will. Uh, but it doesn't mean you're stronger per se, right? You know, like, here's the example, and you'll you'll appreciate this, Donna. For those of us that grew up on fast food like I did, McDonald's and all that stuff, we, you know, four food groups, it was pizza, hot dogs, Coca-Cola, and potato chips when we were young. And and yet now, because I've cleaned up my diet, I've done a lot of the things you've written about. I've been organic for 30 years now. I don't compromise that. I would rather fast than put poison into my body because I've been ill for the first 24 years of my life. So why would I want to go back there? I know the cause and effect link. And I go, if I were to go to a fast food restaurant like I grew up on, immediately I would either vomit or have massive 
loose stool diarrhea. And I say to this to people, if you can eat at one of those fast food restaurants with genetically engineered food and refined carbs and all of that, and not at least get diarrhea, you're not well. You're not well because your body is. That's really interesting that you said that because I'm the same way. I'd rather fast mm -hmm. than eat bad things. And I will fast for a long period of time, particularly if I'm traveling, for example, I never eat on an airplane or in an airport waiting for something. But um, it's, it's so like, so the thing is, when you become healthy and your body becomes more and more mm -hmm. pure, it reacts very strongly to a poison yeah. where if you're always eating junk, and you keep on eating yep. junk. It's the body just know the difference. It's adapted Correct. to yes. junk. And, and that was my, my infancy. You know, the story of my mom and dad tell me when I was born in the 1960s, the doctor said, hey, breast milk is old news. You don't need to breastfeed your child. Here's this powder. Just add water. Give it to you. And I projectile vomited that stuff up because I, I, like I was so smart, I read the label. Mom, what are you giving to me? No, I couldn't read the label. But the cells know. The body knows. The intelligence is there. And it rejects it. But... There's adaptation for survival. My body cells said, oh, my gosh, this is all we're getting. If we continue to violently react to it, we're going to perish in infancy. So the body says, all right, let's now not react this way. Let's find a way to get something out of this for survival and deal with the garbage in another way. And you begin to accumulate. Your liver gets congested. The skin, which I had massive skin issues and other things, that's the adaptation. And, of course, the doctors uh, look at the adaptation, the symptoms, and they say, here, you need an antibiotic. You need a steroid cream. On and on it goes to shut down the communication. The body's trying to tell you something. You're doing it wrong. You're feeding it wrong. Don't give it that. And yet we fight through it. So to explain to people, Donna, what you've been trying to say for years is still difficult because they think, oh, oh, I can eat that stuff. I have an iron constitution. It's like, no, 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 no. That's mm -hmm. a misinterpretation of what's happening. But as you relate it to the vaccination issue, yes, there are certain people that have uh, pathways uh, of adaptation that can really excrete well certain poisons, metals, et cetera, and others that are so very vulnerable. But my bias now as a homeopath is nobody is vaccinatable. It's not advisable for anybody. Now, for some, that would be an extreme I'm position. I'm glad you said no, that. But, but I, I want to make that perfectly clear. You can repeat that as many times okay. as you want. It's about, are we vaccinatable? Yeah, we're doing it. Do we ever bring up that question? Is this little generation of kids, these tiny little babies come in? Are they vaccinatable? No. no, it's it's not a good idea for anyone. And I know, again, many physician friends I have would dispute that because their programming is different. Then they still have to undo, you know, a lot of the programming that, that's gone into them. Now, some are waking up and looking back at the entire vaccination schedule because of the lies of the COVID jab. And now they're like, oh, if I was lied to about that, maybe I'll look back and see if I was lied to about other things. So it's a disillusionment process that we're all going through. Some we went through it much earlier than others. Uh, and I'm here for them. I'm not going to, you know, disabuse them of a good thing that they're doing. Oh, thank you. The water's warm. Come on in. No genetically engineered ingredients here. And you're, you're going to be better. We'll all be better off for it. Now you got to deal with all of the, you look back and you say, my gosh, what I didn't know and what I've done. Many doctors say, oh my gosh, what have I done? I was providing these things and injecting people. I, I thought it. So you can't really live in the past in that way, except to make penance. Do your best now that you know di differently. You know better. So now do better. Uh, but the idea that we must be vaccinated, this is something I deal with as a homeopath. They come to me and go, I don't want the vaccines, but I want to do something. And that's where we get into homeoprophylaxis, where we, we can utilize those substances of the natural world in terms of if you believe in the viral causation hypothesis or whatever, or bacteria or fungus. You can convert that to homeopathic forms and safely ingest without any potential for harm. And then you can sensitize your immune system in a way that's not suppressive 
I don't even think it's necessary. However, I would, in the case of we know of a, a massive exposure of something going on, like I think we have predictions of, of the resurgence of measles because they now they admit through the MMR or the measles vaccines over years, you've eliminated almost all natural immunity. And that's what would uh, be conferred from the mother to the infant. So in the early years of vulnerability, even if other siblings got, quote unquote, measles, it wouldn't impact the infant because the mom actually had it and conferred that protection through the maternal you know, antibodies, if you will. And, and yet that's lost now through this artificial induction machinery of vaccination. So we could see it's not hard to predict that there may be a resurgence of measles, but they're answer is wrong. Oh, we've got to inject more, more frequently. And we're going to see more devastating results from that than, hey, we need to strengthen the body, support its processes through the normal rite of passage, which in fact, measles results in- Like nature does. And we are strengthened by a manifestation like measles. And it's different for everybody, but healthy kids don't die of measles. It's just like it was a joke on the Brady Bunch all those years ago in the 70s when we watched that show. It was a big joke. Now it's like, oh, everybody's going to die. Well, they, medicine, medically, they precipitated perhaps serious problems coming uh, to the fore soon. And my response would be, homeopathic remedies, uh, other things to improve microbiome, again, enhance the, the gut and the gut ecology, all that you know, and and respond quite differently than their response inevitably will be, Donna, we've got to vaccinate more frequently. We've got to do more. And they've destroyed natural immunity. They'll make it even worse if we go down that road. Yeah, and they refuse to teach about it because I, I was shocked when the whole COVID thing came out and I thought, is anybody going to tell us the truth? Are they just going to Vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. Um, you made me think of something else, too. Um, interestingly, um, yeah, I want to go into homeopathics. That's what I was thinking of, because you brought up a term that some people don't know anything about, or maybe they know a t- teeny bit about. But I know myself, uh, even knowing you all those years ago, it, it was a mysterious thing to me, homeopathy. Um I got some homeopathics. I couldn't tell if they were working or not, but I will say that I have one homeopathic today that I would not be without, and it's called histaminum, and it's for histamine response. So every once in a while you eat something, excuse me, and, you know, you get this itch or kind of, you can tell it's a histamine response. I'll just take a little, couple of little doses of the histaminum, and it's amazing. It works better than anything. So how could they use, um, because by the way, I just want people to know this, there are some more epidemics heading our way. I know recently at the A4M conference, a lot of the doctors were talking about uh, another you know, epidemic coming from Brazil. So we need to be always on the alert, always armed <laughs> with knowledge and things like homeopathic. So what would you... Uh, encourage people to do. Well, I think that the these pandemics are, are, are mostly artificial, although you go back in history and say, well, artificial, were they genetically engineering the uh, Spanish flu of uh, 1918? And I go, mm, no, but uh, you know what their evidence for the Spanish flu of 1918 is? They dug up a dead guy in Alaska like 15 years after the event. He died at the time. They said, oh, look what we found in here now that we have an electron microscope. And we claim it's a virus and it's the thing that killed everybody. It's so patently unverified. What did you do? Sorry? Because my uh, grandmother lost her mother and her brother one night in that mm-hmm. flu epidemic in 1918. So I know it was real. So could, I, I lost. Yeah, what no, you just I'm not said there. disputing the reality of the deaths and things that happened at the time. But the proclamations mm-hmm. in so-called scientific medical circles that they've identified the one thing that did it because they dug a guy up in Alaska that died at the time is absurd. 
absolutely absurd. Now, they don't take into consideration the terrain at all. What was happening at that time, post-World War One? Soldiers were coming back, living in the filth and squalor and, and abject malnutrition, exposed to chemical munitions. There were, in fact, back then, experimental vaccinations being given. And in, in back home, there was a lot of poverty and nutritional deficiencies due to the war effort, etc. Uh, people living in sanitation, sewage, hygienic practices were not up to speed as they were going to develop further into the 20th century. Uh, uses of drugs like aspirin, which were the new wonder drug, were also depressive of immune response. Uh, there were so many other factors, including we get into uh, wireless technologies that were developed. Every time the electrification of the grid in the history of man started a new level of a pandemic. If you read The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg, you begin to see it's not as simple as claiming, well, we have a flu virus and that's what did it in 1918. Again, we have to look back at history with, a, if not a jaded eye, a critical thought or a lot of critical thinking because we've been sold a lie. We've been sold a false bill of goods by, guess what, the, the same people that come in with the rescue package or the prevention package, the, the vaccines and or the drugs. And now the public health agencies that are all promoting only vaccines and drugs, the drugs we want, not the ones that may be old and safer, like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin during the time that we've been through. So you got to call into question what we think we know or what we're certain we know about historic pandemics as well. And so even this COVID thing, arguably, it was not a natural phenomenon, uh, gain of function research, a delivery package of certain sequences to produce something that didn't occur in nature until man, medical man and his arrogance began to experiment, much like the medical man of a Nazi Germany experimented on Jews, gypsies, gays, uh, the infirm, the, the mentally retarded, whatever it was they targeted. Uh, so this is a history that we cannot turn a blind eye to. And the homeopaths know about this. Divided Legacy, the series of books about the history of America, unabridged, uncensored by Harris Coulter, gives us insight into allopathic medicine's attack on all forms of competition, primarily homeopathy, but then in the 20th century, naturopathy, herbalism, uh, you know, any kind of eclectic healing method that wasn't uh, patent petrochemical medicines. You know, this is Rockefeller, Carnegie, Monopoly Medicine, even though uh, Rockefeller had two personal homeopaths up until his death, always cared for by the, the very method that he tried to eliminate because it would be competition to his oil-based medicines. Well, how do you know some of these things that you're saying? I'm sure a lot of people are sitting there right now listening, thinking, how does he know that? How does he know this is true, what he's saying? Well, just like anything. I mean, you weren't there with Rockefeller, for example. Well, yeah. How do you know well, that? It's, it's, you know, the, his, the history books about Rockefeller, for instance, it's not even a controversy to say he had two personal homeopaths, just like we know uh, the Queen of England had homeopaths and still do, and they use it. But uh, the history of medicine in America, until you begin to read the ones that were not erased and rewritten for the purpose of clouding our minds about history, like, look, Don, I grew up as a medical family, pharmaceutical family. And I visited in Georgia where I lived for, you know, 30 years, including many of my formative youth years, visiting Civil War museums like we all did and learned about the history of the Civil War in America. And as far as I knew, modern medicine was always around because it was the only thing I ever had. And then when I learned of homeopathy, and I, I went to Emory University in Atlanta, uh, found out at the age of 24 when I began to look back at something I never heard of, the word homeopathy was not in my vernacular until then. And I went back and I'm like, Emory University, I graduated from that. Do you know that they taught homeopathy in the medical school curricula up until 1949 at Emory University Medical School? Oh, wow. No, and that, I didn't. That's a great medical yeah, school, and, by and, the way. And uh, Hahnemann School Medical School in Pennsylvania uh, is named after Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, the founder of homeopathic medicine, and the only physician in America so honored 
with his own memorial in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., on Scott Circle, of all places, is Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, the German physician who developed homeopathic medicine. So the whole history of medicine in America has been erased and rewritten as if it didn't happen. And so then I went back to the Civil War museums and I looked at the, the, the soldiers in the South, their field medical kits, they all had homeopathic remedies. How do they not tell us that? What, that seems to be significant. What, what, what would they have had, like, for well, gunshots? Yeah, well, okay. yeah, they have arnica. You know, they had uh, arsenicum. I mean, they had a number of different remedies that were very common on the battlefield. Uh, so <clears throat> the history of America was erased and rewritten. The history of the world by the Westerners that, that have dominated through monopoly medicine. Don't want us to know the history of medicine in America, much less much of the West. Uh, so I had to dig deep into the research of the history books that I wasn't taught growing up. And uh, these are the kind of things that are available now even more so than ever because we have an Internet. Back then, we had to go to the library and actually get books and read them. And, and, you know, but it's a fascinating journey, but it really upends what you thought was reality. But remember, it's not those, uh, let's say, uh, I can say who wins the battles gets to write the, the books, I guess you could say. So it's whoever's writing history, they erase what they don't want you to know. And then you get into repeat, you end up in the same dilemma because you didn't learn anything. And, you know, when I was learning history in public school, like I went to, they never taught us about cause and effect connections between historical events. It was like this happened on this date and at this time. And these are the players. Why did it happen? Doesn't matter. Just remember dates, well, times, you, and places. Well, Robert, can you um, speak to the way medical schools were started and the kind of candidates that were you know, found and brought in practically free and how naturopathy actually was pushed yeah. aside? Because we want to have these medical schools and the kind of people that were accepted only and um, brought in and pay, their education was paid for were people that, um, well, they were primarily Jewish. The medical uh, world today is still very largely Jewish. You know, Jewish people are super brilliant for the most part, and they like to be things like doctors and all. But I thought it was really interesting that uh, I'm totally not saying this in an Annie's Jewish way, but um, the man who did this was Jewish, and he only accepted lots and lots of Jewish uh, brilliant people, and then he took other, but if you weren't, and you're a naturopath and interested in that, you never got in, and then that's eventually how all the medical, our whole entire medical uh, profession is, you know, grown that that way. So well, do, growing do up, have, growing up Jewish, I remember, you know, the con the funny joke, my son, the doctor, you know, that kind of concept. I mean, you, you <laughs> tend to want to go into it. That's a, a, a cultural thing as well. Uh, but you go back into the early 20th century, and this is long after already in, in the 19th century, when you had the, initially the, the founding of the American Institute of Homeopathy. Like within three years of that was the founding of the American Medical Association, the AMA, which was developed to white, you know, try to target homeopathy for elimination. Now they didn't succeed because people were getting great results and not dying from it. And yet in 1910, uh, Abraham and Simon Flexner, the brothers that we should know about, we only learned about the Wright brothers, but these were bigger in terms of impact on the future than even the Wright brothers with airplanes. Uh, but Abraham and Simon Flexner were hired uh, to write a preordained and commissioned report by the Rockefeller and Carnegie foundations to establish, uh, let's say, a uniform curricula of medical schools in America. At the time, early 20th century, you, could, you were more likely to go to a homeopathic medical school, but there were also naturopathic medical schools, I mentioned. There were herbal and eclectic schools. Chiropractic was going to be emerging as well, and these were all vitalistic for, views of the body, not 
materialistic reductionist chemical views of the body. And they were competition for a monopoly uh, of petrochemical medicines, patent medicines. So, you know, in the book I wrote with my buddy Ty Bollinger, Unlock the Power to Heal, we actually go right into the Flexner Report to give people that history to understand how did we get here? How did we become so blinded? Oh, good. They, they, they erased history, they rewrote it, and they basically funded only the schools and supported only the schools, and they claimed that were legitimate now, we'll sanction them, we'll license them, if they teach patent petrochemical medicines. Those that don't will eventually be eliminated by the, you know, we're not going to fund them, we'll tell everybody they're a quacks. And as I said, by 1949, Emory was one of the last schools to teach homeopathy in, in, in their medical school. The northern schools abandoned it right away. The south, there was a little resistance, a little independence still coming back from that history. Uh, but these, again, the mm-hmm. unwritten or the, the erased history, the lost history is so important that we must dig back and bring that back out so we never make the same mistakes again. And the, the saying, you know, follow the money, mm-hmm. that's where all the money yeah. then went toward. They got free education. Uh, you know, really, to me, I, I almost feel sorry for doctors today. Um, I feel like inner medical school and you just put blinders yeah. on. You're just doing exactly what. They're going to teach you, and there's an entire world of really understanding healing that you never even get to see. So um, I wouldn't. I wanted to be a doctor. No way had the grades for it. Plus, I was a woman back in those days, and uh, and I think so many times I was not even. You know, the path I've ended up on has been the right one for me. Uh, even to be a dietitian, I thought, well, that's what I'll be. I like food. I went to school to study to be one. I went and worked in a VA hospital over the summer and thought, this is really wrong. And changed my major completely. But <clears throat> so here we are today. And there isn't a tremendous amount of people like us. Uh, I've watched the field as you have, of course, grow from just a few of us to many, many, many of us. Still, there's this vast ignorance out in the world. Why? Why do you think that is? It's like a puzzle to Well, it's a a program that runs so deep in humanity. And, uh, you know, it goes back millennia. It's not just a few years ago. And, you know, if anybody complains about the political system, it's not like your candidate that lost or the year that won. These things don't happen overnight. They're uh, programmed into the, the, the very culture, if you will, by those that want to own and control us. It's a, you know, it's a millennials old uh, saga in humanity. And I think it's a spiritual crisis, Donald, ultimately. And uh, I'm not defining it in terms of any named religion because everybody's got their different beliefs about it. And I respect that. But the idea is to diminish our uh, divinity, to disconnect us from the divine, that which is creating all of us. And and then we are perceiving that we have rights that come from government, not God. And of course, rights from government are not rights. They're privileges that are revoked on bad behavior. What is that bad behavior? Oh, my gosh. I believe that you can cure cancer without chemotherapy, radiation or surgery. I'm sorry. You have no longer access to social media. You know, on and on it'll go. That's a mild example. But uh, there's a programming of the species, if you will. And we are... kind of a tribal species. We tend to like to fit in and get along and know that people, you know, peer pressure from high school didn't end as we get become adults. It's like, oh, you don't want to be called names, do you? Or the doctors that put their head up, they're going to be Wakefielded. Andrew Wakefield, uh, whose last name became a verb. You go throughout history, you see Ignace Semmelweis who dared to say, you know what, when you cut on those cadavers, you should wash your hands before you deliver babies. And that's a little better so that you don't kill the babies and the mothers. Right? They, they, they made them die penniless in an asylum for that. Uh, you can go to Copernicus and Galileo. These people that threaten the established narrative have always been attacked. And eventually you look back and you go, oh, well, they were right. The question is, can we do that while it's happening? That's happening now, interestingly enough, in COVID time is 
many more physicians than in the history of me doing what I do and you do what you do are awakening to a harsh reality and, and that they're seeing a disillusionment of their own uh, institutions that they revered because it was part of what they, their identity, if you will. And some are willing to break free of that. Well, yeah. And I think uh, we need to give credit to organizations like AFM mm-hmm. and IFM Institute sure. of Functional Medicine, American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, which I have thought degrees from, but um, I've watched like conferences at A4M, you know, there'll be a thousand doctors who kind of jump ship. Uh, they don't want to practice that way anymore. They're not even, you know, they're not going to be controlled by the uh, their, their laws that they've been given and also being uh, forced into, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? You know, people go in and they only will go to a doctor where they're getting insurance. So these doctors don't want to deal with that either. It's a nightmare. So they jump ship. And I watched within a really short period of time, a few years, a thousand doctors at the conference to 4,000 doctors at the conference. So it's happening fast. Doctors are coming in from all over the world to attend these, uh, not just conferences, but there's a whole lot of modules where they're getting tremendous information. And gosh, you know, if you don't have, if you're a doctor and you don't have that kind of information, you're not a doctor in my, in my book. So it is changing. And then there's people like us that are a billion podcasts out there. I'm always grateful for anybody that'll listen to mine. And I know you've got a radio show for years uh, putting the message out there. So I guess we're sort of winning. Maybe the people, and you mentioned the spiritual aspect of it. I always have this feeling that the people that are spiritually qualified to find answers are the ones that do find somebody that, and they're awake now. You know, they're ready to hear what you have to yeah. say. And I really think that's, uh, like you said, a major factor. And I watched that in our uh, our moms in the autism community. There's a whole bunch of them that just, they were argumentative. They would come in. You could tell they weren't good. And our bedrock group, moms would throw them out because they were so negative. But the group for a whole was extremely harmonious, helping each other all the time. And I used to think, what a difference, you know, between these moms and the other ones. And I finally decided that these had an inner sense of right and wrong, which to me is another way of also explaining uh, spirituality, your higher sense of self understands right mm-hmm. and wrong. How do we see through the illusion? Uh, how do we not get tricked by uh, power plays that pretend or claim or proclaim to be for us in support of us? And, you know, that takes experience. It takes years, sometimes decades, sometimes lifetimes to be able to see through this. But also there's something I think that inside you, if you listen mm-hmm. to it, intuition, if you want to call it that, that just says, no, I'm not going to do it that way. That doesn't feel right, even if everybody else is against I would that. call it divine guidance or inner guidance. Um, yeah, you're right, mother's too. intuition, and this is what Dr. Andrew Wakefield has lectured on many times now. He says, moms know more than any doctor on the planet, all of them put together. When you listen to that gut, that connection, you will always go right. But authoritarians within the medical community or other areas try to override mom's intuition or our inner guidance or a gut or our direct connection to the source of all wisdom, which is our divinity. And so it is an ongoing battle. That's not new. That's the age old millennial battle of trying to subjugate people human to human, as opposed to recognizing that humans are fallible. We all are. And that we should take our marching orders from God, not government. I recognize people have different perceptions on what I've just said, but suffice it to say, you put uh, the power of people over you 
who are susceptible to be corrupt, even if they mean well. People can be bought, can be compromised, etc. And then you think, well, government, that's going to protect us from that? No, no, those, that's where they gather. <laughs> they gather there to gain power over us. Yeah, so somebody who lived in Washington, D.C. Yeah. for 10 years and went to many of these important parties and things, it's all about yeah. power. Everybody's got this vision, this goal. They're going to be somebody important, or they are important, and they're going to keep their, you know, their 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 congressman. They want to stay one. They want a senator. They want to stay one. That is motivating everybody, not our well being. Mm -hmm. And I just really immediately saw the fakeness there. It's very hard for me to stay. But I do want to say something uh, back to Andy Wakefield yeah. and the doctors in those days, early days with autism. The mothers had two things. They absolutely 100% going to get their kids well. They're going to find answers. They band together, you know, and uh, fortunately the internet was available so they could share things all over the world and get feedback. But what I loved was the doctors that they found that they brought their kids to like Wakefield. They listened to these mothers and, and, and got uh, learned so much and quickly became educated uh, and shared that too. They'd have these conferences before, say the Dan conference, they'd have this group um, think tank meeting where they shared what was working. I was so impressed with the quality of these early doctors. Um, so they, so in the autism mm -hmm. community, there's some fantastic doctors in Wakefield was one of those early courage. Uh, he had so much courage. I really admire him very much. Um, so, Getting back to vaccines, I really want to get into copper too, but well, I mean, people are wondering, okay, what about the vaccines we've been giving uh, given so far uh, because of COVID? And uh, am I going to die? Am I going to drop dead of a heart attack? Today, I was noticed, I saw this little thing come across uh, my news feed that the coach, Mississippi, I guess football coach, just suddenly dropped dead. The first thing on my mind is, I think, was he vaccinated? And so, you know, can we talk about that for a little while? These vaccines that we have been yeah. given, um, that they keep wanting us to have more, which people are starting to wake up and they're not getting them. And so they're sending a whole bunch of drugs over to other parts of the world. But uh, let's talk about that for a little while. And one, one more thing I do want to say. So there are certain parts of the world, like Africa, where, that have been heavily vaccinated for yeah. decades, Ebola and on and on and on. And um, there are 200 million men around the world today, but the largest countries uh, uh, that are infertile and, the, and a huge number of them are in Africa and India. Again, another heavily vaccinated group of people. So if we could just talk about some of those topics, sure. do you think COVID is about reducing the population? There's certainly a good argument that we have too many people on the planet. Um, but um, let's just talk, talk about anything in there that's Well, I think, I think the gain-of-function studies into the, what they call SARS-CoV-2 uh, were designed to bring the vaccine into being because that's really the, what I perceive to be the kill shot or the infertility shot, even though – uh, there's evidence that previous generations of vaccines, which included uh, the human chorionic gonadotropin antigens, in other words, HCG, uh, to elicit um, infertility. In other words, the attack on the developing baby uh, when HCG spikes during pregnancy is especially. So there's a lot of evidence to show that there's an intent in terms of globalist population reductionist uh, um, schemes 
that the vaccines are the vector by which they deliver it primarily. It's not exclusive. I mean, you eat enough genetically engineered food filled with pesticides, you're going to have lowered sperm count. You're going to have fertility issues for women. So it's it, we know that the uh, fertility issues have been uh, on the rise. That is, in other words, fertility declining over now a few generations. It's just accelerated uh, with the COVID jabs, which, you know, I, I'm loath to call them vaccines, even though I know the common vernacular, they've borrowed it, but it's gene-altering therapy that's not very therapeutic. And uh, I've had many meetings and covered some on my show of uh, fertility specialists talking about what was happening in fertility clinics over the time the uh, the jabs became uh, viable, available, let's say, let's say, and somewhat mandated into use because of threats of loss of job, freedom, travel, et cetera. And uh, the, the rates of... Um, uh, miscarriages were going up extraordinarily. Uh, the rates of failure of uh, in vitro fertilization as they were witnessing, you know, the uh, fertilization of the egg and then, uh, you know, five days in, boom, done, six days in, boom, done. Things they'd never seen before except rarely now became commonplace. And yet many of the doctors in those clinics and nurses did not want to acknowledge what was happening because they were so heavily programmed and threatened with, if you say anything that it could be related to the vaccine, you know, it was, it was uh, again, peer pressure all over. You want to fit in, you just shut up and keep doing your job and pretend nothing's happening. We're still dealing with that, with those uh, docs that have pointed mm -hmm. out there's tremendous adverse events uh, to this thing, which, again, it's different from any other vaccination beforehand. You know, this is gene-altering yeah. therapies. Yeah, I like it when you say don't call it a vaccine. But I have a friend who's an embryologist, and he told me that many women are actually conceiving. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a 28 yeah. days, actually, um, critical time where nature very strictly scans that forming yeah. fetus. And um, if it doesn't pass the pattern, like there's a pattern, like we just have eyes in a certain place and ears and mouth and so on. You know, everything, there's like a pattern yeah. to form a human being. Well, if we don't pass that, uh, the, the little fetus is not somewhere along the way. It'll often be a spontaneous having, abortion at that point. The body will say, done. Right? Spontaneous yeah. abortion, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so we're seeing a lot of that, I, I agree. And, and, you know, as I said, even in vitro fertilization technologies where they witness the egg, the development in the first five, six days before implantation, and they're seeing things that they've never seen before, except rare, 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 rare. And now it's commonplace. But um, there's no doubt that the vector of administration of these things, calling of vaccines, et cetera, because that was largely acceptable. You know, if you promote this and sell this as a gene therapy, people will go, whoa, 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 what? You, you, you're doing what to my genes? So they had to call it a vaccine, even if it didn't fit the actual definition. But these are the mind games they play to program people to accept them. And many people did for fear reasons or other reasons. And now, yes, many people recognize or they were forced yeah. to. I have a member of my family that was going to lose her job, and she was vaccinated uh, yep. twice, then got pregnant, and was forced to get vaccinated in the fifth month of pregnancy. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, gosh, we, there's so much more to talk about here too. Um, so much oh. I want to just want to say about this topic alone. But um, do you think there's ever going to be any kind of recourse against? the pharmaceutical companies or even companies like the one I'm just talking about, like they forced yeah. her, you know, to get, I, I think there is some, there is some vulnerability legally on those companies that forced an emergency use authorization shot for employment for the basis of you don't have a job. If you don't, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, pushback in the courts and some has our, has already happened. And uh, as we're recording this today, uh, earlier in the day, uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, convened a panel and he's also now convened a grand jury in Florida to investigate any uh, 
misdeeds. We'll talk about fraud, uh, deception, things that would penetrate the so-called invincibility, you know, if you will, of, of these uh, companies that produce these shots. They're granted blanket uh, autonomy to not, you know, have any consequence if should they injure or kill anybody. But this, they're not protected for acts of fraud. And so they're going to start investigating that in Florida. Maybe other states will pick up on this. So certain attorneys general have sued uh, and ha- are now getting documents on the censorship issue, right? Collusion between government and mm-hmm. private business to censor uh, viewpoints that don't follow the narrative. But now this is going directly into the manufacturing and marketing of the uh, shots themselves uh, and deceptions there. So, yes, things are shifting. They're changing. They can't continue this way. Too many people are dropping dead suddenly. Died suddenly is a big search term. You mentioned one there every day. Uh, it's un- We never heard of died suddenly. Occasionally, I remember growing up and you'd have... Um, uh, you know, a high school or college athlete that heat stroke and died, had a heart attack, but it was a rare event, but you, you remember it cause it was so rare. Now, you know, the highest level athletes around the world dropping dead suddenly you know, in their youth, in their prime of life. So, uh, the impact on the vascular system. is especially yeah. weird because it's not, it tends to be the young and healthy. I just want to add one other thing to what we were just talking about. When a woman is pregnant, her immune system is suppressed and that's done intentionally. So she doesn't reject this thing growing inside of her, basically. So once again, we were talking about people that are really not good candidates for vaccination. That's a pregnant woman, Frank. So I just wanted to, you made me think of that. So, yeah. So um, do you think these suddenly dropping dead? I mean, we hear about it constantly now. What's being done about it? Is there anything to do? I think people are so frustrated because they are beginning to make up their mind uh, they don't want this. They don't want to believe the media anymore because they're completely bought and paid for. And so, but, but what do we do? Yeah. How can we get out of this mess? That's where people are most stuck, I think, is they don't have a, a course of action to stop it, protect themselves, yeah. whatever. Like, that, do you have any yeah, that's on a that? big part of the last two and a half plus years. I've been meeting almost weekly during that time in my area with physicians and pharmacists and naturopaths and homeopaths and herbalists and um, and people who do autopsies, yeah, by the way, well. they've got yeah. solid proof of the blood that's coming out of people when they drain them yeah. to do the, um, yeah. the uh, you know, they have a, they're going to bury somebody. So they're going to drain the blood and they're going to prepare the body uh, so they can see what the blood looks like. Right. So, and so all of these people ahead, we've been sorry. meeting with, and it's been a, a spirit of cooperation, unlike any time previous, you know, where the doctors felt like they were the elitist. They would, why would they consult with a homeopath? Or a naturopath. They're not real doctors, right? Mm-hmm. So that programming was shattered for many of the doctors that had integrity, that have integrity. And they began to realize the limitations of their training. So they wanted to share. We wanted to learn from each other. And the spirit of cooperation has been unlike anything in my lifetime, this lifetime, witnessing. There's a renaissance going on within medicine and other things. Now, I, I still believe uh, the it medical is. degree is a handicap. It's a mental handicap that you have to overcome outside of emergency trauma interventions. So even as they're trying to make strides in integrative medicine, they're still carrying an allopathic mindset that'll always drag them back and miss the big beauty of creation and nature itself. And I'm not saying they can't overcome it, but it's very difficult. So there has to be an egalitarian system that allows for all forms of medicine and all forms of healers to interact on an equal level playing field not to exalt one over another or, you know, and deify, you know, the medical doctor over all others. That's been a mistake and it's a disaster we're still paying for. Uh, and that's changing because the doctors themselves realize the, the, the limitations or the wrongness of some of their training or a lot of it. 
Uh, so we're 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 writing a new story, if you will, right now. We're not finished. Oh, we're in the midst of yeah, it right now. Are. What's happening? It's a good thing that's happening, but it unfortunately it takes a lot of. It's a good thing, and it's a, it's really good too for us because we've been trying to push this rock yeah. up the hill. So someday that would happen, and it's happening right now. So it's really like amazing to step back and watch and be very grateful for. Yeah, it. and the irony is we could have never done it in a million years. Just our voices talking like we talk. It took this disaster. Mm-hmm to wake people up from a slumber, a, a drug-induced pharmaceutical slumber. And, and you know, as much as I don't want to see people die and ever, you know, the reality is this is life. This is how transformation happens. They talk about the old consciousness has to die uh, in order to get to the new one. And it takes a lot of mayhem and destruction, unfortunately. And you go back to the goddess of destruction, Shiva, and all of these things. It's the history of, of humanity. Uh, you destroy, you build, you build back up. It destroy, you build. And I'm, I'm not advocating destruction, but it's part of life. And even the bone cells, as they age, they they age out. They are destroyed and they're replaced. Unless you're a doctor, then you prescribed a, a, a boniva, and then you stop the destruction of the bone cells, and you end up with decrepit, you know, Fosamax, Fozzy jaw, because you don't allow for the natural recycling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, this is modern medicine. Oh, we can fix the osteoporosis by stopping the bone from breaking down, but it's a process designed by nature and God to happen so that we stay, yeah. maintain integrity. And it's so, so short. So you're reminding me of a couple of things too that I teach in body ecology. First of all, we're ba- we have the seven good principles, universal principles. And one of them is that everything has a front and back, um, positive and negative side to them. Uh, and you're always trying to go for balance. Well, if they had understood this when the antibiotic was created, they would have looked for the backside. So the front side is okay, wipes out all these germs we were, that were killing us, but is there a backside? Well, we, we still are not asking that question. That's really important. Yeah. One of the universal laws, and there's a whole bunch of them that I don't bring up very often, but you reminded me of it, is that things go to their extreme and change into their opposite. So something like a balloon gets bigger and bigger and bigger, then it collapses. Well, I'm, I'm sort of watching that happening now. The medical profession controlling everything has been going to their extreme, and, and what we're seeing it collapsing. Mm-hmm. Uh, other systems too, financial systems and all, they're all starting to collapse so that we can build again. The good thing too is that the the, the new is already here. The new beginning, what we're going to replace it with is already here. I just wish more people would jump ship yeah. and come over to We always want to go because we've been visionaries. It. You've been a visionary. You've seen the future. And you're like, when does it get here? Well, it, it's getting here right now. It's in the midst of it, but uh, they'll write books about this time. You know, it's been extraordinary what we're living through. And they'll write books about how uh, what dark ages we lived through in modern medicine's history, you know, in the 20th, 21st century to get to where we got to go back. Our sanity, our connection to the divine, to the natural world. Uh, and, you know, you've been at it for a long time. That's why I, I get it. I you know it's like, when is it going to get here? What, but we're in the midst of it. This is the necessary upheavals that we're witnessing and living through. And we've chosen to come here to serve at this point in time. You know, you were made for such a time as these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but destruction, I just wanted to point out the point we're making, destruction is inevitable so that the new and better can be built. So I think that's important for people to hear that and witness this time as a time of collapsing of structures that haven't been working for us. And so then there is a new beginning. It's actually here in place. People like you and me that have been planting those seeds a long time ago, AFM, IFM, these doctors changing and all the education going on there, tons of other stuff, even like your radio show, for example, like every single day people could tune in, listen to two hours of all kinds of experts, you know, and I think people should do that because you're kind of brainwashing yourself. Like you can turn on uh, 
ABC and all these TV shows and get brainwashed that way if you want. Or you can try to tune in a little bit every day to some other information that's going to start to make you feel comfortable, provide answers. That's at least one thing people can be doing right yeah, now you, you, as things you, are changing. Do you feel disempowered when you listen to certain audio or video podcasts or shows, or do you feel empowered? I think that's a good limit. I, I, I feel that what I already believe is mm-hmm. true. And that's empowering me for sure. And um, I feel like, well, of course, years ago, I was, my family thought I was a weirdo and everything I said back in those days, they realized that it, it's not weird at all. It's what we believe in today and right now. So, but it always feels good, especially if sometimes you're the only one in your family that believes to, to hook up with other people that are kind of um, supporting you. They believe like you do. It gives you the confidence to sure. hang on to your own beliefs and, you know, Follow them, basically. Well, Robert, gosh, I had other important things to talk to you about. I know you're probably out of time because you've already had two oh, hours no. of a radio show before we, we got, we got on. We've on a lot of things, Donna, that we didn't plan on. I know. And I wanted to talk about copper. Right, so you think forward. we could do another podcast? I think we have to because it's too important. And you know <laughs> it, too. There's a lot of things that are somewhat yeah. controversial and misunderstood, particularly, boy, when you brought up the autism and high copper. Oh, I got the answer. That makes you'll go. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. You know. Yeah, I, I have to yeah. do a part. We have to do that. I, I've been so confused myself. I hear one thing and then I hear something yeah. else. And I think, well, what's the truth yeah. on this? This, when, this is the science. This is the science. When it's revealed, Which one is, should I be you're believing? Gonna go, wow, I, I should have had a V8, but organic, right? You're, you're going to be like, of course, it's, it's that in our face and we miss it. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to accuse anybody of, I've missed things, right? You know, and then, then the, suddenly it's revealed and you're like, are, like oh my gosh, how did I miss that? And, and with copper, there's a lot of that that's gone on. And uh, as soon as we can, let's, let's do a part two because uh, it's as important as anything. Yeah. You have a, such an important voice and you're reaching so many people that are on board and we need to get to that next level because there's always levels of layers of deception and layers of uh, consciousness that we can achieve. And that's part of the discussion here. Yeah, and you know, something I had done in my notes that we didn't even get to it, but I just want to throw this in right now mm-hmm. at the end. Um, so I have research on uh, vaccines. And people that are in countries like Korea is a good example, where they eat fermented foods like kimchi, for example, they didn't have a big issue with COVID. People didn't die from COVID. But I also have another study showing that people, when they got vaccinated, if they were on fermented vegetables like kimchi, mm-hmm but I don't think they're the, I mean, you can make them so many different ways. And I, I don't call them uh, sauerkraut. I like to use fermented vegetables because you can make so many different varieties. But those people that ate those kind of foods when they were before and during and after vaccination did not have a bad vaccine response. And I think that's one reason why our kids, the kids with autism did so well, because and the whole family did basically, because um, of course our parents weren't vaccinating anymore. But, uh, and I have so many more questions. I had a bunch of people in my family say, oh, ask Robert about, uh, are, do you like any vaccines? Should they get the ones that are given to us at birth? Uh, that Not to us, but to our babies. Uh, Hepatitis B, for example, like, do, do you, I think you told us already, I have one of three children that's not vaccinated. However, mm-hmm. I hope I got to get him to listen to this talk. He vaccinated himself for this COVID thing because he felt like he had to tell people because he's around a lot of people at mm-hmm. his work. He thought people would feel worried uh, that he wasn't 
but in his whole entire life, he was never vaccinated. So I'm hoping his immune system is so strong. And, you know, I'm in Charleston. People didn't have, they're not dropping dead. They didn't seem to have a bad, any bad response to the vaccine. So I think certain cities are, uh, didn't get the bad vaccines. Can you just, what do you think about that? Uh, I know we're trying to say goodbye here, but it's true. We really, we don't know what was in each vaccine or lot. Clearly, there were hot lots. There were lots that were dosed higher than others or some that were placebo because the experiment that was being conducted never ended. It's still ongoing. You know, the phase three trials are part of the you know EUA and now others that are still getting the shots. This is still an, a grand experiment. So we don't know. In fact, your theory is probably uh, if if we were really analyzing the lots and, and dissecting what was in them, we could probably prove one way or other. They don't want that analyzed because then we'll find out what you've just said. Uh, in addition uh, to the, um, you know, one thing we're going to have to do when I come back is talk about our strategies of how do we undo the damage? Because this is damage unlike any other previous vaccine. As I said, it's not a vaccine. Yeah, we have it's to gene altering uh, therapy. And we've got some things that we can do. There are things that we can do. And I want to get into that with you. Uh, but also, if you go back to the other question about, you know, these childhood vaccines, the traditional ones like Hep B, you know, how many babies, do you know, leave the uh, delivery room, sneak out when no one's looking and get a tattoo with a dirty needle. Right. Or, uh-huh. or, or engage sex. in wild sex orgies with who knows what. Of course, that's yeah. something that's so absurd that we would give this Hep B shot on the first day of life with a lot of aluminum, by the way. Uh, it's a, it's it's just it's it's moronic, and I'm trying to be nice. What I'd like to say, uh, so all of these childhood vaccines, uh, you know, the docs now are realizing that they were lied to as well. Uh, there is no place in a good, healthy uh, regimen for life and strength and vitality and longevity to inject toxic poisons, uh, heavy metals, adjuvants, etc., for the elusive or desired holy grail of an antibody response. I mentioned it earlier. You, you know, the antibody, you can have it or not have it, and you'll still have or not have the ailment or illness or disease. It's so far down the road of the immune response. It's like the last defense, right? Not the first. Your first defense is being vitally healthy, having the healthy microbiome, all of the, you know, the biodiversity of it and everything else that the immune system is, which is not to be insulted and assaulted in this violent and artificial way, bypassing the normal way we would interact with the world. So it's a failed uh, uh, ideology, much less practice. And we were lied to about everything in the 20th century, about how it did so many amazing things, when in reality it was sanitation, sewage, hygiene, nutrition that impacted the manifestation, much less the dangerousness or deadliness of any number of these things that they say are so you know deadly. Uh, plus, again... Well, you know, I kind of transitioned from working with people with autism kids because I watched what was happening. Like they were trying to get into another thing like cancer. Right. And I started trying to tell people that it's preventable, but nobody could hear me. So I've actually really been very involved in helping mothers have very healthy pregnancies and very healthy babies. And, you know, starting off the inner ecosystem at birth and everything. So we have a good number of moms who follow me, but because of that, we get these calls sometimes where a desperate mom is saying, you know, I just got tested for group B mm-hmm. strep and um, during their pregnancy. And, of course, what they're going to do now, as soon as she goes into labor, they're going to start her on IV antibiotics, yeah. which is going to give the mom and the baby a yeast infection. Every child with autism is born with a yeast infection. Yeah. And they all have it. Every single one of them have, has a yeast infection. 
and the moms have it and everything. So anyway, a group B strep vaccination is a terrible thing to do. But, um, you know, we just don't look, eat fermented vegetables, drink coconut kefir and things like that, and have a lot of healthy yeah. uh, bacteria in your gut. And then, so what if there's group B strep in there somewhere? It has no power exactly. to do anything. So I, I just, that's just no, another example. Can, I mean, I, I could know. talk to you forever and ever. We can, ever, we can ever. neutralize it with intravaginal introduction of bioactive silver hydrosol if you're worried about it. Oh, that's a great wow. topic. So this time, next time, let's talk about yeah. copper and okay. silver. That's a kind of fit together, mm-hmm. copper and silver. Um, yeah, just let's, let's <laughs> I hate to say goodbye oh, to you. Uh, and I know you've been talking for so hours. Good to so. see you. We always have a great time of reunion, and uh, I, I wish I could make it out to Charleston. It's a beautiful city. I know it's been through hurricanes before in the past, but it's a lovely place to live in the South like that. And you know, the another example of the mm-hmm. media. You look and you look out your yeah. window or you go outside and this man's blowing in the winds and can barely stand up. And you're thinking, how come it's not happening at my house? So a lot they of times over. they Please come to Charleston. Don't worry I'm about it. Not worried at all. And uh, again, love to see you anytime. <laughs> and uh, just let's coordinate for a part two. And thank you to all of those of you who love Donna as well and all the work that she's done over so many years. And, uh, you know, you, you are blessed because you're, you're in this community and i'm blessed to be dropping in occasionally like this and you know you're always welcome on my show too donna you know that so but you're right we have so oh, much yeah, more to please. talk about I've got, yeah we do um thank you for saying that i have so much competition out there today that I don't look helps to have somebody that say that they're not competition to you they're just their own unique uh, lane and uh remember the uh you know the heart of what you do is what leads the right people to you that need you and are ready for you and when more people are ready as long as you're ready They'll be here too. Yeah, they come. Build them in. What's that field of green movie? Build it and they'll come. Build it and they will come. Yeah. Same with you, though, Robert. You have such a good heart, and obviously, are very committed to helping people for these many years to do what you do and keep sharing it. It's an honor to know you. So thank you very much, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, John. Appreciate you. Body ecology is not a diet. It's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth. If you want to know more about us, about these seven universal laws, and about our amazing, effective products, go to our website, bodyecology.com. Also, for a free transcript of this show, go to our website. Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course, if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening. And here's to a happier, healthier world.